everyone, I hope you're all doing so well and welcome back to the Criminal Makeup Podcast. Each episode, we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history and today we are going to be talking about the case of Claire Nichols. So today's case, it's definitely a heavy one. It's another one of the cases from the UK like Suzanne Kappa, like Sophie Lyonnais and Katie Morgan Davis that just doesn't really get talked about. There is not really much coverage on those cases, like today's case of Claire Nichols, but the victim suffers some of the most inhumane treatment imaginable. Because today we are going to be talking about the murder of Andrew Gardner. Andrew was a very vulnerable man who was quiet, timid, and wouldn't do a thing to harm anyone. And things were going great in life for Andrew until he met Claire Nichols. And... Wow, I literally have no words for this woman. Claire Nichols was a control freak, an abuser, and a sexual sadist. She basically got off on inflicting pain on others. And when Claire got into a relationship with Andrew, things went from bad to worse incredibly quickly. And Andrew, unfortunately, was exposed to some of the worst torture and suffering imaginable. And I've got to warn you, this case is not going to be easy to listen to, so please be prepared for that. But it is another one of those cases from the UK that doesn't really get much coverage, so I thought it was an important one to share with you all. So let's jump in. Nichols was born in 1981. The exact date of her birth is not known, at least I couldn't find it. She was born in Portsmouth, which is a town on the south coast of the UK. And she grew up with her parents and her two siblings. And other than that, we don't really know anything about her background, about her childhood, nothing, which is just truly frustrating. And I've said this before, but I will say it again, I do like to dive into the backgrounds of the perpetrators of these cases because I do feel like it gives an insight of what could have possibly led to them committing the crimes that they did. It doesn't give them an excuse, but it maybe helps us understand a little bit more. But given some of the absolutely horrifying, truly disturbing things that Claire goes on and does, I feel like it's pretty safe to assume that her childhood probably wasn't great. It's like there must have been something to happen in her childhood to cause some kind of significant major trauma because you don't just wake up one day and decide to do what Claire Nichols did. There is also not a lot of photos with this case. There's like one photo of each person involved in this case. But what we do know about Claire's background is when she was aged 15, she moved out of her family home. It is thought that her parents around this time had a divorce and it was quite a messy divorce. And because of the divorce, Claire moved out. And this wasn't some kind of like a arranged move out or anything like that. She didn't go into foster care. She didn't go and live with any other family member. She just moved out. And that's not exactly normal, is it? Like 15 year olds don't just move out of their house unless there is a reason. So at age 15, Claire was just out in the world fending for herself. And this is when she meets a man called Malcolm. And that is all we know about this man. We don't even know his surname. So I don't know Malcolm's age. I don't know how he knew Claire. I don't know what their relationship status was or anything like that. But I just know that Claire meets a man called Malcolm and she moves in with him. And Claire stays living with this 
Malcolm Mann for two years. So until she is aged 17. After leaving this Malcolm Mann, she just floats around a little bit really. She has a few odd jobs here and there. And she does spend some time working in a charity shop when she's around the age of 18. And then when she does turn 18, this is when we start to get a little bit more of an insight of what her life is like. Because this is when she meets a man called John Peterson. John Peterson was also from Portsmouth and he was a former Royal Navy radar operator. But John Peterson was 46 years old and Claire is only just 18. And I know 18 means that she's an adult, but it's like it's not though, is it? It's like if you turn 18, you're still so young. And I'm really not trying to comment on like big age differences in relationships or anything like that. I'm purely just saying Claire is 18, only just 18, only just an adult. And this John Peterson is 46. I mean, it's weird, isn't it? So the age gap between them wasn't the only red flag though, because John Peterson was a convicted paedophile. We don't know the exact nature of John's offences, but he's a convicted paedophile. It's like, does it really matter the exact crime? He's a convicted paedophile. So Claire gets into this relationship with a convicted paedophile and she's with him for a decent amount of time because over the next three years, she goes on to have three children with this John Peterson, this paedophile. It's like, really, could you not find a more suitable parent to your children? Why the hell would you have children with a convicted paedophile? And Claire knew that he was a paedophile. Just want to point that out. It wasn't like it was a secret or anything. So Claire is now 21 years old. She's had three children in three years, which that in itself bloody how that is a lot of work. And she's had children with a convicted paedophile, so it's not looking great, is it? And I feel like the way I'm talking, it sounds like Claire is the victim in all of this. It's very easy to think, okay, so she's really young, there is a power imbalance, she's with a convicted paedophile, like surely she is the victim in all of this. But it turns out she wasn't. It actually turns out that Claire was abusive to John. John has said that Claire was a control freak and she would flip out all the time. She would lose her temper over the smallest things. And she has been described as incredibly manipulative and just extremely, extremely verbally, physically abusive. And John has later gone on and said, quote, she was a she-devil and the most evil person to walk this earth. So whilst John was living with Claire, he was forced to report his every movement to Claire. Whatever he did, he had to tell her. Claire always had to keep him under her watch. And if he ever did anything to step out of line or annoy her, frustrate her, she would physically assault him. And it was for the smallest things. For example, if he went to the corner shop to grab some milk or some bread, eggs, just whatever, and he did it without her permission, she would go crazy and physically assault him. She would punch, kick, throw items. And this happened 
happened on a daily basis for every day of every week that they were together until one day in 2003, John just felt like he couldn't take this anymore. He was really concerned about himself, but he was also really concerned about the children because don't forget they have three children together. And so far, Claire's violent behavior never extended to the children, but John was concerned that it might actually escalate to that. So John called social services. John reported Claire and said that he was worried for the children for their safety because Claire was so abusive. She was manipulative and she was volatile. But it's said that social services just ignored John and his complaints. And it is speculated that because he was a convicted paedophile, they didn't take him seriously. And it's like there's part of me that does understand that social services are probably not going to take a convicted paedophile's word. They're not going to really trust them, are they? But then I just feel like it doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter who is reporting. You should take every claim seriously. You should look into every report of possible child abuse. And it turns out that social services, I can't believe they did this. Instead of taking John's accusations seriously, what they did was phoned up Claire and told Claire that she needed to end her relationship with a convicted paedophile Otherwise, social services would take her children away from her, which I do understand their standpoint there. I do. I don't feel like any children ever should live with a convicted paedophile. And it's just crazy to me that social services didn't take John's accusations seriously. It's like right here, the children should have been taken away from both of them. They should have both been looked into, but they didn't. And Claire, after that phone call from social services, she packed up her belongings and left John and took the children with her. If social services had just taken these children away from her, they could have spared these three children so much trauma. So Claire is now 21 years old. She has left John and she decides to relocate to be closer to her mom and sister. And her mom and sister are currently living in Newcastle, which is in the northeast of England. So that is where Claire moves to. And this is when Claire enters into another relationship that is pretty significant. Uh-huh. This next person plays a pretty big role in today's case. And this was a man called Stephen Martin. So Stephen Martin was 37 years old. So he is 16 years older than Claire, which is definitely a smaller age gap, but that's still a pretty big age gap. But there is something very significant about this man, Stephen Martin. And that is because Stephen was Claire's mom's I just can't believe it. Stephen is her mother's ex-boyfriend. I am sorry. No, 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 no. And Stephen dated Claire's mom for a pretty decent amount of time. I don't actually know the exact time, but I know it was for a few years. So it wasn't just like a little fling or a one night stand or anything. Stephen was a significant boyfriend for Claire's mom. I suppose you could even say that he was kind of Claire's stepdad at one point. And now she's dating him. I'm sorry, that is disgusting. You possibly would think, I mean, maybe you don't now because you know a little bit more about Claire, but possibly you would think that Claire would be the victim in this relationship. There is a power imbalance with the age gap. There is a little bit of possible abuse and a weird situation because he's her mom's ex. 
But no, Claire is still the abusive one in this relationship. Claire, once again, was abusive and controlling. It's said that Steve Martin had an IQ of 59, which is lower than average. And it's said that because of this, he was prone to be manipulated and taken advantage of. And he was just the perfect victim, if you want to call him a victim at this point in the story, because he's definitely not always the victim. And it's also thought that during this relationship with Steve Martin, Claire really started to learn how to use sex as a weapon. And it's also where she started to develop her sexual sadist tendencies. However, the relationship was also very volatile. I mean, are we surprised? And it was very on and off and only lasted for about two years. But Stephen isn't out of the picture just yet because like I said, he actually is a pretty big character in today's story. So it is now 2005. Claire is currently 23 years old and this is when she enters into another pretty significant relationship. So there is a pattern here that I'm seeing that Claire never likes to be single. She always likes to have a partner, but I should probably call them victims. All of her partners she has abused because it is when Claire is 23 years old that she enters into a relationship with Andrew Gardner, who very sadly is the main victim of today's story. Andrew Gardner grew up in Gateshead, which is in the northeast of England. He lived with his parents, Ken and Jean, and his two brothers. Now, Andrew has been described as a caring, loving boy who just loved fooling around with his brothers. The whole family was actually pretty close. He loved going to the park with his brothers. He loved going fishing with his dad. Now, as a child, it was found that Andrew did have learning difficulties, and because of this, he did attend attend Joycey Road Special School in Gateshead, but he didn't let this hold him back. He actually thrived and when he left school, he found work as a car valet and he never let anything hold him back. But he was also incredibly vulnerable. He did also have a very low IQ and he was prone to be taken advantage of. He was very easy to manipulate. And I don't know if you've noticed a pattern, but this is exactly Claire's type. And it was when Andrew was 31 years old that he met Claire Nichols. So Andrew and Claire started dating in 2005, but it turns out that just before Andrew got into a relationship with Claire, Andrew actually dated Claire's sister. <sighs> it's like really, really, really. So Claire has just gone out with her mom's ex and was in a very long-term relationship with him for like two years. And now she's starting a relationship with her sister's ex. It's like, what the actual hell? So yeah, Andrew and Claire are now going out and it wasn't long until they started living together. And Andrew kind of slotted in nicely to the family. He kind of took on that father role to Claire's three children, because I think it's very easy to forget that Claire has three children. He was great with the kids and the kids really loved him. And all of the neighbors and friends around them said, that Andrew was a really good dad. He was seen at the park with them. He would walk them to and from school. And Claire also seemed like the perfect mom as well. They kind of seemed like this perfect little family, which of course, in the beginning, they possibly were. But in the end, they definitely were not. Because behind closed doors, it wasn't long until everything was just falling apart and going horribly wrong for Andrew. And I need to warn you all now from this moment on, 
the case is not going to be easy to listen to. There is definitely some horrific things that we are going to talk about. So I've said multiple times now that Claire is a control freak and an abuser, but this relationship with Andrew is where that kind of behavior escalates. From very early on, Claire saw Andrew as someone to do her bidding, someone to wait on her hand and foot, do absolutely everything for her. She showed Andrew no love, no care, no affection. She came up with weak excuses for her behavior, saying that Andrew was a lazy man. And like most abusers, because Andrew wasn't meeting her unrealistic standards, she would lash out and take it out on Andrew. If Andrew wasn't doing the household chores to her standards, she would call him useless. If Andrew wasn't bringing in enough money to the household, she would call him worthless. And it was just a barrage of insults constantly being thrown at Andrew. And right now it is just verbal abuse that Andrew is suffering. And it was designed to belittle him, to completely chip away at his self-worth, at his confidence. And it wasn't long until the verbal abuse turned into physical abuse. Claire would beat Andrew regularly. It would be almost on a daily basis for the smallest infraction of her rules. She also started to restrict how much food Andrew could eat. She is just literally trying to get as much control over Andrew as physically possible. And it's just so sick what she would do. She would cook dinner and her and the three children would sit down at the dinner table to eat dinner and Andrew wouldn't be allowed at the dinner table. He just had to sit on the floor and watch. And he would be there starving. He wasn't allowed any food and he would be asking can I have some food? But Claire would just shout insults at him and she would also encourage her children to shout at Andrew, to shout insults at him, which the children did because they thought it was normal. Claire would say that Andrew was a drain on the household budget, which is why he wasn't getting food. He was useless. He was worthless. And Andrew was literally starving. He lost so much weight. It resorted to Andrew whenever he could, he would steal food out of the cupboards. He would steal the odd bit of bread or chocolate, just whatever he could get his hands on that Claire wouldn't notice that was missing. But it turned out Claire did start noticing that food went missing. So she cut all of the pockets out of Andrew's trousers so he couldn't steal and hide food. And then on top of all of that, she would count and weigh every single food item in the cupboards so she would know if any food went missing. And it's just like, wow, she is going to extreme lengths to control Andrew, to restrict his food. I mean, to weigh every single food item in the cupboard so you know exactly how much everything weighs so you know if anything goes missing. I mean, first of all, how long would that have taken? Why is she doing this? It's just like, why is she getting so much enjoyment out of this? It wasn't just starvation that Claire was putting Andrew through. She was also depriving him of his sleep. Again, this is like ultimate torture, isn't it? Sleep deprivation. Whenever Andrew would be nodding off, falling asleep, Claire would wake him up and make him walk around so he didn't sleep. It's just like, oh my God, he's being verbally abused. He's being physically abused. He's now being starved 
and he's not allowed to sleep on top of all of that. But Claire was loving this. Like she really did get a kick out of all of this. She loves inflicting pain on others. And then Claire wanted to do what we often see in these very severe torture and abuse cases. Claire wanted to completely isolate Andrew from his friends and family, from everyone, from the world. So Claire confiscated Andrew's phone and she said under no circumstances must he contact his family. He also wasn't allowed to leave the house unless Claire gave him permission. And most of the time he was only allowed to leave the house to walk the children to school and then pick them up at the end of the day and walk them home. And Andrew is an incredibly vulnerable person. He is very easy manipulated. Andrew just didn't know how to say no to Claire. I mean, it's very hard when there is somebody that is that skilled at manipulation. It's hard to even put ourselves in that position, but Andrew felt like he couldn't say no. So Andrew completely cut off ties with his family and he did not speak to his family for over a year. And I don't know if you remember, but I said that Andrew was very close with his family. But then one day in 2006, approximately a year into the relationship, Andrew decided to break one of Claire's rules. And that is because he went to visit his family. And he did this without Claire knowing, she didn't have a clue. And he turned up at his family's home alone. And when his family saw Andrew, they were so shocked. I mean, they hadn't heard from him in over a year. The last time they had heard from him, Andrew had said to them that he didn't want anything to do with them. He was cutting them off. And when they saw Andrew, he was a shadow of his former self. He had lost so much weight. He was so gaunt. All of the color from his face had completely gone. He was so pale. He looked so frail and ill. And Andrew just had tears in his eyes. And when he went into the house, he took off his shoes and his parents could see that there were blisters on his feet. And Andrew's parents took one look at him and they said, Andrew, you need to get away from that woman. Andrew's parents said that whatever he needed, wanted, they will do. They wanted to help him get out of that house. But Andrew said nothing. He didn't want his parents to do anything. All Andrew asked of his parents was if they could spare a little bit of money and food, which of course they did. They were like, here, have money, have food. And then Andrew left pretty much straight away. He wasn't at his parents long at all. I assume he was probably scared that Claire would figure out that he was gone. So he didn't spend that much time with his family and he just went straight back to Claire's house. And then not long after this visit, Andrew made a phone call to his nan and he left his nan a voice message and he said in that voice message, tell mom and dad I won't be able to see them anymore. And very sadly, Andrew's parents would never see him again. That one visit in 2006 would be the last time that they ever saw their son. Okay, so now we get to 2008. So we are jumping forward a few years. And Andrew has now been living with Claire for three years. He has been suffering through this torture for three years. Every single day he's been going through it. And just tragically, the abuse and torture get worse. It's like, how do they get worse? So a couple more significant things happen that contribute to the escalation of abuse. The first is that the family... I don't even know why I'm calling them a family. They're not exactly a family, are they? But Claire, Andrew, and the three children move house. And they move to 
seen Arthur Street, which is in like a little town called Chilton, which is approximately half an hour south of Newcastle, which is where they currently were. And this is a very significant house, which is why I'm telling you the address, because this would be known as the House of Horrors of Claire Nichols. So that was in July of 2008. And then the other significant thing is that Claire starts to move in a couple of people. And these couple of people, they're evil. They're evil as well. They may not be as evil as Claire because Claire is definitely the instigator, the ringleader, but they are evil. And they join in on the abuse and torture of Andrew. So the first evil lodger, shall we call them lodgers, was 22-year-old Simon Nichols, who was Claire's younger brother. So evil clearly does run in that family. Now, Simon, like most people, was very scared of Claire. He was very intimidated by her, and he would pretty much do whatever she asked, and he did. So he was the first evil lodger that moved in. And then the second evil lodger that moved in was Stephen Martin. Do you remember Stephen Martin, her mom's ex that she also dated? I told you he would pop up in this story. Well, he is evil lodger number two. And as soon as they both moved in, they started abusing Andrew along with Claire. They essentially became Claire's henchmen. But there is another very significant thing that happens kind of at the same time. It actually happens just before the lodgers move in, but it's it's very similar timing. But Claire decides to have a baby with Andrew. So Claire has been abusing Andrew now for three years and she decides to have a baby with him. It's like, why are we bringing another child into this environment? I just, I just, yeah, I just don't get it. So at some point in 2008, Claire gave birth to a baby girl and Andrew absolutely adored his daughter. His daughter actually gave him something to live for because he was being tortured every single day. He kind of lost the will to live, but since his daughter was born, like that was what he was living for. So in this house of horrors, we now have Claire, who is the ringleader, Andrew, who is the main victim in all of this. We have Simon and Stephen, who are basically Claire's henchmen. And then we now have four children in this household. We have Claire's three older children and their ages are between six and 10. And then we have the newborn baby girl. So there is a lot of people in this household. And it is when Simon and Stephen move into this house that the abuse and torture just just goes up another level. So first of all, Claire has obviously moved her ex-boyfriend into the house and it wasn't long until they were sleeping together again. But they weren't just sleeping together, they were doing it in front of Andrew. And Andrew is obviously supposed to be Claire's current boyfriend and Claire did this on purpose. It said that she actually got off on the hurt and humiliation in Andrew's eyes. She likes inflicting pain. She likes humiliating others. That is what she gets off on. And she loved having so much power and control over everyone in that house, but especially Andrew, that she made him watch her have sex with another man. But it wasn't just the humiliation and the hurt in Andrew's eyes that she got off on. She actually would get aroused by inflicting physical pain on Andrew. And it got to a point where Claire and Stephen were punching, kicking, scratching, causing physical pain to Andrew, and then having sex right after, 
and in front of Andrew. And once Claire realized that she got sexual gratification from inflicting pain on others, this is when the torture of Andrew reached an absolute inhumane level. Not that it wasn't already inhumane. And I'm going to warn you this next bit, it, it's a lot. It's not going to be nice to listen to. So Claire would constantly come up with different punishments for Andrew. And these wouldn't just be inflicted by her, they would also be inflicted by her henchmen, which were Simon and Stephen. And both Simon and Stephen were more than happy to do her bidding for her. First, it started off with Andrew being whipped. They would take long pieces of curtain wire and strike Andrew all over his body. They would leave his body with huge lacerations. They would also take a damp tea towel and kind of of knot it at the end and because it was damp it was obviously very heavy and like hard and then they would take that tea towel and repeatedly hit him with this tea towel and this would leave him with marks and bruises all over his body. They then moved on to burning Andrew with various different things. They would take a cigarette lighter and hold it against his skin. They would hold it against his feet, against his hands. They would also turn a radiator up to full and then hold Andrew's body against that radiator and burning him. And then on one occasion, they forced Andrew into an empty bathtub and filled up a kettle, boiled the kettle, and then took that kettle full of boiling water and poured it all over Andrew's legs and feet. And this did leave Andrew in the most excruciating pain to the point that he couldn't even walk. But it gets worse. It really does. And it's almost like, how does it get worse than this? But Claire got a sadistic thrill from branding Andrew's skin. This soon led the group finding any sharp object that they could. Sometimes it would be car keys. Sometimes it would just be a knife from the kitchen and they would brand Andrew's skin. They would scratch into his skin words and markings with these sharp objects. And on one occasion, and I can't believe I'm saying this because it's just like, what the hell? The group decided to play a game of noughts and crosses on Andrew's skin. They took a sharp object and they drew out the grid for noughts and crosses. And then the group took it in turns to carve out a nought or a cross on Andrew's skin. How can anyone do that to somebody? These injuries were bleeding profusely. I mean, of course they were. They were playing noughts and crosses on Andrew's bare skin. And whenever he would bleed, Claire wouldn't tend to his injuries. She wouldn't clean him up or anything like that. All she would do would be to transfer Andrew onto newspaper on the floor. So he didn't bleed onto the sofa or any chair and he wouldn't bleed onto the carpet. That is her priority, keeping her house clean and tidy. But it gets worse because Claire would make her children get involved in the torture. It's all just about control, isn't it? It really is. Claire wants control over every single person in that household, and that includes her children. And we all know that Claire is a sexual sadist. She gets off on inflicting pain. But what are Simon and Stephen getting out of this? Why are they doing this? It started with Claire instructing her children to monitor every single movement of Andrew. They had to report everything that he did. If he ever did anything wrong, they had to tell on him. They had to watch him in the kitchen to make sure that he didn't steal food. But Claire would also instruct her children to beat Andrew physically 
beat him. They were also encouraged to verbally abuse him, call him worthless, call him useless. The three children would gather around Andrew, who was lying on the floor, and they would kick him, they would punch him, they would stomp on him, and Andrew would literally just be curled up in a ball, trying to protect himself, not trying to fight back because they're children. And he also knew that they were only doing it because their mother was instructing it. It's just so sick. Using children as weapons is absolutely sick. There was even one time where Claire took a bottle of nail polish and wrote cruel, abusive words all over Andrew's body because he was being, quote, too much like a girl. It's just so sad that the children are brainwashed into thinking that Andrew deserves all of this because they must love Andrew. He's a really good stepdad. He's been there for them for all of these years and now they are brainwashed into thinking that he deserves all of this punishment. I can't even imagine the psychological damage that all of this is doing to those children. And at this point, you might be thinking, why is Andrew putting up with this? Like, why has he not just walked out the front door? Well, there are a couple of reasons for this. First of all, we have to remember that he is incredibly vulnerable. He's very easily manipulated. But secondly, Andrew now has a baby daughter with Claire. His daughter lives in their household and he just couldn't bring himself to leave his daughter behind and he just knew that he would never be able to get himself and his daughter out of that house without Claire knowing. So the abuse continues on until we get to March of 2009 and by this point Andrew is really not in a good way. He is completely malnourished, he's suffering from starvation and at this point he only weighed 57 kilograms. Now he was approximately average height for a man. This is severely underweight. And as a result of being repeatedly beaten, burnt and whipped, Andrew now had over 100 injuries to his body. Some of these injuries were cuts, bruises, marks, but then some of them were also broken ribs. On top of all of that, because of the prolonged starvation, Andrew was now suffering from blood poisoning and lung disease. And it's thought that at this point, Andrew wouldn't have the strength in his body to leave, even if he wanted to. But even still, at this point, Andrew was still fighting because he wanted to live. He wanted to survive for his daughter. His daughter was his whole world and he clung onto life for his daughter. He still believed that at this point there was going to be a way out. He was going to make it through this. But tragically, that would not be the case. There is only so much that his body could go through before completely giving up. On the 13th of March 2009, Claire decided to launch one final vicious attack. Now, her reasoning behind this attack was the same reason that she always had, that Andrew was lazy, that he was worthless and useless. She would scream at Andrew, you lazy bastard, I wish we hadn't met. And following shouting verbal abuse at Andrew, she removed all of her rings from her hands before striking Andrew repeatedly with her fists. Stephen and Simon were also in the room when she was launching this vicious attack and they soon joined in. Andrew was literally in the fetal position, cowering, trying to protect himself, trying to protect like his head and his chest. He was just really hoping and praying that the attack would stop. But Claire, Simon and Stephen took it in turns to kick and stomp 
on Andrew. Claire then started to repeatedly bang Andrew's head on the floor. She was literally grabbing his head and repeatedly bashing his head on the floor. She was also stomping on his head and then she had one final assault left in her. So she put Andrew on his back and Andrew at this point, he's nearly lifeless. He doesn't really have anything left. Claire then stood on top of Andrew's body and then started to jump up and down repeatedly using all of her force, all of her weight. Can you imagine someone jumping on top of your chest with their full weight? And by the end of the attack, Andrew had 21 fractures in his ribs. His ribs had actually pierced his lungs. He also had a bleed to the brain, but he was still alive. He was still clinging to life. And then once Claire had finished the attack, Claire and Stephen had sex right next to Andrew. And the group just left Andrew there. He was completely lifeless. He was literally dying and they just left him. And very sadly, hours later, after being in unimaginable, excruciating pain, Andrew lost his life. And it's just so incredibly sad, it really is, because we now know from the autopsy that Andrew was conscious, he wasn't moving, but he was feeling all of that pain. The way that Andrew died was so painful. He essentially suffocated to death because his ribs had pierced his lungs and he was aware of what was going on. He was conscious and I can just imagine he was probably thinking about his daughter. He was probably thinking about that he didn't want to leave her and leave her in that house with that evil woman. What Claire, Stephen and Simon put Andrew through is just inhumane. They are evil. They are the definition of evil. So following this vicious attack and obviously after Claire and Stephen had had sex, the group had realized that they had gone too far and they immediately start to panic. And I honestly don't know why, because from that attack, what they were doing, I feel like it's very clear that they intended to kill him. They started to think to themselves, what are we going to do? How are we going to explain this? How are we going to get away with it? And they came up with a plan on how they were going to be able to get away with this. They were really that arrogant that they truly thought that they were going to be able to get away with this murder. So at 11.27pm on the same evening that they did murder Andrew, they call 999. They pretend on this 999 call to be so concerned because Andrew has just gone home and he's been mugged and he's been attacked. So the paramedics rush to the scene and when they get to this house, they are greeted with Andrew who is already dead. And immediately the paramedics know that this story that Andrew was mugged is a little bit suspicious. They think things are not quite adding up here. So the paramedics asked Claire, when did Andrew get back? How long has he been in this state on the floor? And Claire was like, oh, he got back um, approximately about half an hour ago. He just came back. He had told us that he was mugged by these strangers. He was covered in all of these injuries. And then he just collapsed on the floor. It has nothing to do with us. And the paramedics immediately knew yeah, no, this is all a bunch of lies because they could tell, they checked Andrew's body and they could tell from the state that he was in that he had been dead for 
hours at this point. So the police are immediately called. And as soon as the police arrive, they start treating Andrew's death as a murder. And immediately, Claire, Simon and Stephen are all taken in for questioning. The three perpetrators try to stick to their story that Andrew was mugged, but the police were having none of it because at this point, an autopsy had been carried out on Andrew's body and the full extent of his injuries were revealed. They could see how malnourished he was, that he was suffering from starvation. They saw all of the marks on his body. They saw the game of noughts and crosses that they played. The police also used luminol on Claire's house to find any hidden traces, specks of blood. And what do you know? There was blood pretty much everywhere. Even though Claire had done a really good job at cleaning up the crime scene, they still found blood. And this confirmed that Andrew was not killed by a mugging. He was killed. He was tortured and abused by Claire, Stephen and Simon. So the case went to trial and this is when the full extent of Andrew's suffering of his injuries finally came to light. First of all, the pathologists and expert witnesses went into excruciating detail of exactly how Andrew had gotten all of his injuries. And next, Claire, Stephen and Simon had to take the stand because all of them had pleaded not guilty to this. They were still trying to get away with it, which is just absolutely crazy. And to no surprise, they all turned on each other. They all tried to blame somebody else for the abuse. They all tried to claim that they themselves were innocent and it was the others. At one point as well, the trial had to get postponed because when Claire's brother Simon was on the stand giving his testimony, he was saying that Claire was the one that gave the final blow. She was the one that essentially murdered him and Claire, who was in the courtroom because their trial was like all together, they were all in the same courtroom. When she heard this, she jumped up. She was so enraged. She was kicking and screaming and started shouting across the courtroom at her brother. That's rich coming from you. You were the one kicking him in the ribs. Throughout this whole trial, not one of them showed any kind of remorse, no sadness, but what were we expecting? And by the end of it, the jury were left in no doubt that all three of them were guilty. And all three of them were convicted for the murder of Andrew Gardner. Claire Nichols was sentenced to life with a minimum of 32 years. Simon Nichols was sentenced to life with a minimum of 25 years. And Stephen Martin was also sentenced to life with a minimum of 20 years. Following the trial, Andrew's parents spoke out and said, quote, it's like a dream we just want to be woken from. This will haunt us for the rest of our lives. And it's just so tragic to think that the last time they saw their son was three years before his murder. It was that time that he showed up on their doorstep looking so frail. And what is just so devastating about this case and what I cannot stop thinking about is the children. To think about the children and all that they went through, everything that they witnessed, everything that they were made to do. But now because of Claire and who she was and her actions, Claire's youngest daughter now has to grow up with her mom behind bars. But more importantly, she now has to grow up without her dad who was murdered by her mom. And then the other three children who are incredibly 
young, all of them at the time of this trial are still under 10 years old. They too will have to grow up with what their mom has done, what their mom put them through, the fact that she is behind bars. But not only that, it turns out that their dad, remember their dad, John Peterson, who is a convicted pedophile, he is also behind bars because he was convicted of a historical rape charge of a five-year-old girl. So all four children in this case have to grow up without their parents. And to this day, 12 years after the murder of Andrew, all three, Claire, Stephen and Simon, are still behind bars where they deserve to be. But in prison, Claire Nichols has actually made friends with Rose West. I know, I bet you didn't think that Rose West was going to come up in this case. And Claire Nichols is actually a member of Rose West's cross-stitching club. I just find it so bizarre that in pretty much every single female UK case that we have covered, they come in contact with Rose West in some kind of way. And I just think it's so disturbing that Claire Nichols is friends with Rose West. I also find it very disturbing that Rose West teaches a cross-stitching club. It's like, how, how are we allowing her to do this with cross stitching with needles? Like, is this wise? And I really just don't have any answers for why the three of them, Claire, Simon and Stephen, did what they did. I mean, we know that Claire is a sexual sadist. She's an abuser. She gets off on controlling other people and abusing them, manipulating them, etc. But Stephen and Simon, I get that they were scared of Claire, but why did they do this? Like, why did they also participate in the torture? Why didn't they report her? But it's clear to me that they also must have enjoyed doing this because why else would they have done it? And then finally, we have to reflect on Andrew who tragically lost his life. Andrew Gardner was described as a caring, loving and friendly man. He was trusting and would do anything to help anyone. And because of this, he was also incredibly vulnerable. He suffered the most unimaginable abuse. But even throughout this, Andrew adored Claire's three children. And when Andrew became a father himself, he was absolutely over the moon and wanted to do everything he could for his baby daughter. He wanted to see her grow older. He wanted a life with her. But tragically, this was all taken away from him. He was only 30 five years old. This case is just so heartbreaking all around. It's just truly heartbreaking and it's severely undercovered. It's not exactly a well-known case from the UK, which is why I wanted to bring it to you guys. And yeah, I don't really have anything else to say other than the fact that Claire is pure evil, pure, pure evil. And so are Simon and Stephen. They're all pure evil. And that brings us to the end of the episode on Claire Nichols. That was a very, very heavy one. I think we all need a little bit of a break after that episode. Go listen to something happy or go watch something happy or go cuddle your pet or something like that. But thank you so much, everyone, for listening today. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of The Criminal Makeup. And if you enjoy the show, it would mean a lot if you could leave a five-star review. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please take the time to look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources. Special thanks to my producers at Audio Boom Studios and I'll see you all in the next one.